Um, so I think what materialises in the wage negotiations will be very key to what ultimately happens with monetary policy normalisation. John, thank you very much indeed. That's John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is trading up 0.1%. Down in Australia, the SX200 up a third of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is down 0.1%. does look like we're going to see a rebound uh, in Hong Kong stocks at the open. The Hang Seng projected to open about 50 points higher this morning. And thank you very much for listening to Money Talk this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast for today, sunny periods, maximum temperature of around 19 degrees. And the outlook is for those temperatures to rise further uh, with sunny intervals to tomorrow and a few rain patches in the following couple of days. It's 15 degrees right now, 58% relative humidity. Times 8.31 with the news, here's Barry O'Rourke. Lawmaker Tony Tse says a mock-up of a light public housing flat he saw was quite appealing, and such temporary housing would mean a lot to people currently living in inadequate conditions. Yesterday, the government said by not including air cons in the flats, it could save around $200 million. The flats are intended for those in the queue for traditional public rental units. Mr Tse, who represents the architectural, surveying, planning and landscape sectors, said excluding air conditioners was reasonable, given that they also weren't provided in the traditional units. I think basically there are two reasons, I believe. The first is to cut the cost. And secondly, of course, at the moment, I think those traditional public rental housing won't include air conditioning. Would it set a precedent and maybe they have to be forced to provide air conditioning units for the traditional public rental housing? Cathay Pacific CEO Ronald Lamb says profitability is back on the radar for the airline and there's hope for the aviation industry in general after three pandemic-hit years, although he warned there were still challenges hindering a rapid return to normality. Hong Kong's flagship carrier expects to post a net loss of up to $7 billion in 2022, but Mr Lamb says an uptick in performance towards the end of the year gives cause for optimism. We have seen improvement in the second half of 2022 compared to the first half. And I'm very encouraged about that trend. And I'm very confident that the trend will continue for this year and we'll see continuous improvement in our performance. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has warned Israel it will endanger its long-term security if it abandons efforts to resolve the escalating conflict with the Palestinians. He was speaking after talks in Israel with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Mr. Blinken said moving away from a two-state solution would undermine prospects for peace. He urged both sides to restore calm. As we advance Israel's integration, we can do so in ways that improve the daily lives of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. And that's crucial to moving toward our enduring goal of Palestinians and Israelis enjoying equal measures of freedom, security, opportunity, justice, and dignity. President Biden remains fully committed to that goal. We continue to believe that the best way to achieve it is through preserving and then realizing the vision of two states. 
and the final Boeing 747 jumbo jet has rolled off the production line in the US after five decades in which it transformed air travel. The very last 747, nicknamed the Queen of the Skies, will be delivered to Atlas Air later today and used for cargo. It's been superseded by more efficient two-engine planes. The 747 has carried hundreds of millions of passengers since first taking off in 1970. A Boeing historian said it had shrunk the world. And there'll be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, uh, we're talking about light public housing, that is, uh, temporary housing for residents living in inadequate conditions while they're waiting for regular public flats to become available. The Housing Secretary, Winnie Ho, said yesterday that the government had already found all the land it needs for its plans to build 30,000 light public flats. Eight plots have been identified in Chaiwan, Kai Tak, Naochiwan, Tunmun, Siulam, Yunlong and Shui. The cheapest rent may be set at about $780 a month for the smaller units and up to about 2600 for a larger flat for a four- to five-person household. After 9.15, we're looking into what you can do with leftover lycee packets. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on 233 and we're joined now in our Admiralty studio by Ian Brownlee, Managing Director of uh, Planning Consultancy Master Plan Limited. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. And also on the line, we have uh, Rita Lee, Director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor at the Department of Economics and Finance at Shuyan uh, University, and Professor Yip Nai Ming, who's the Programme Director of the MA in Housing and Urban Management at the uh, Department of Public Policy at uh, City University. Um, thank you to all of our guests uh, for joining us. Perhaps, uh, Ian Brownlee, uh, we could uh, begin with you. Um, so how much of a, a help is this uh, programme of light public housing going to be in uh, tackling um, waiting lists, uh, housing problems and so on? I, I think it's something which is not necessary at all. Um, I, I, yeah, please they're uh, trying, elaborate. Yes, yeah. they're trying to solve a problem which they haven't really identified. And um, if we look at the total number of housing units or households in, in Hong Kong, we've got 2.6 million. And of those, only 5%, which is about 110,000, are um, those with critical physical conditions. In other words, all the other housing is basically um, of an acceptable condition and standard. And if we look at the, of those ones that are acceptable, 45% of them are already in public housing. Then we have about 30% which are adequate um, private housing. So we've, we finish up with a very small portion of the housing people, um, households in Hong Kong that are in a dire situation. And if you go and look outside, you look on the streets of Hong Kong, there are no people of large numbers living on the street, not like a lot of other first world cities. So what is our problem? Our problem really is that we have this number of um, 
households which are at the bottom of the rung of affordability in terms of, of accommodation, and they're living in these subdivided flats. Now, it's not a social problem. It's an enforcement problem. And the problem is, how do we get rid of the subdivided flats? And you, you cannot have a subdivided flat without, without infringing some form of government ordinance or control, particularly through the buildings department and the buildings ordinance. So why are we not focusing on them? Now, what, what's going to happen? And we, we, we look at what um, Secretary Ho has been talking about. We have mm -hmm. to do this to solve the housing problem for those who are in undivided flats. Mm -hmm. So if, if those subdivided flats are to be solved, you have to remove the physical subdivision. If you remove the people from the flats, as soon as they've gone, the landlord will let it to someone else. So therefore, you have a situation where the problem is just being reinforced all the time. We need a task force which is going to focus on this. And it was only last month that Secretary Ho was presenting this situation to the Legislative Council. And they were urging her to do something. And they've done a survey since the beginning of last year. And out of at least 110,000 suspected violations, only one has been prosecuted and who has fined $6,600 for not giving a tenant the utility bill. So this is the problem that needs to be addressed. This idea of, of building large numbers of flats and, and at a lower standard than permanent buildings and expecting them to be there for five years or so, it's just dreaming. It's not sustainable. This is an absolute waste of financial and physical resources. But, but if you ban uh, subdivided flats, what, what are you going to do with the people who are currently living in them? Well, we've, we will move them into other accommodation. For instance, if you look at Kai Tak, we have four-storey um, isolation units with lifts and air conditioning built at the end of the runway at the back of the cruise terminal, which had never been occupied. They could be occupied next week, and we could be focusing on moving those people into there. And immediately you get a solution. But we also have Penny's Bay and Chingy and other sites which are not being utilised. What, what are we going to do with that housing? It's probably a similar or better quality to what they're talking about. Okay. But that's probably enough on that. The other situation is what's happening to places like Kai Tak, and we can come back to that later. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, let, let's bring in uh, our other guests. Uh, um, uh, Rita Lee, what do you, how do you, how do you respond to what uh, Ian Brownlee has been saying about this program? Well, uh, I think the program in itself, just like uh, what he mentioned, is like, uh, well, we have to deal with the subdivided units. So, according to Chapter One Two Three, we have got the Buildings Ordinance, where actually, if there's a subdivided unit, it can cause some of the structural problem. And then uh, this is uh, something for which that the uh, 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 the, uh, the regulation side has to do something. And then moreover, if we talk about the housing units that you can provide, actually this is just a uh, very small amount of housing. There is a 30,000 units for which that it may be completed in five years' time. If we talk about this sort of temporary housing, the light public housing. 
And then if we talk about the current uh, policies, like for example, the housing policies, well, we can do a lot of things. Like for example, we can check the public housing salary of those uh, tenants, uh, whether or not that they have, uh, like for example, uh, periodically uh, five years period. So that we know a lot more, like whether or not they have already exceeded the salary bound. Because actually, originally, they may not have exceeded the, uh, the salary. Uh, for their public housing, but uh, the requirements of the public housing. But later on, after five years, maybe they have got like sons and daughters that they earn more money, and then uh, so that it, it, actually they, uh, they there is there should be a lot of the number of the people that they have already exceeded the uh, salary requirements. And then if we talk about the cold, uh, the COVID quarantine center, this is also another way for which we can have got a lot of this temporary short housing, uh, temporary housing in a short time because we have got a lot of the temporary. Uh, COVID quarantine center. And then uh, lastly, when we talk about like uh, how we can deal with the issue, we have to deal with the root causes of like so why there are so many people that uh, that, uh, that need to have got the housing. We have to check our migration policy. So uh, like for example, uh, for those who come to Hong Kong, either they have to reach a certain level of the financial, uh, they have to pass the financial check or they, uh, that means that they have a sufficient amount of the um, uh, salary or whatever, uh, like the other places when we talk about like, Australia or like, Singapore or the uh, other places when we talk about migration. And then, uh, or alternatively, uh, the employer provide the housing to these people so that we do have so many people that they have to stay in the subdivided units. Like, for example, a lot of the uh, Chinese restaurants, that they actually provide the housing uh, to the uh, employees where they may buy, like, uh, for example, um, uh, three units of the uh, residential units, and then uh, man, many of the uh, many of the employees stay there. So it's a staff quarter. So that it that it does not cause the uh, 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 like uh, sort sort of like uh, the problem of the subdivided units as much as uh, mm. uh, what we have now. Um, yes, uh, Rita Lee, uh, there are now around 234,000 applicants on the public housing waiting list. All the solutions you mentioned would um, be able to, um, you know, move a few applicants uh, up the ladder. Uh, for, for example, you know, putting them in COVID quarantine centers or enforcing, um, you know, very stringently the, the sort of wealthy tenant um, policy and so on and so forth. But still, you know, 234,000 is a very big number. Well, um, well, but, but then if we look, look at the, <laughs> that, uh, if we look at some of the figures, like for example, how many people so they are, they are currently that they exceed the salary requirement in their public housing, and so as like uh, if we try to look at the uh, look at the figure of like uh, migration, <laughs> and then now uh, if we try to look at the uh, uh, the birth rate, like Hong Kong, we have got a negative one point six. Uh, present in 2022, and then in China, which is the main source of the migration, that is like it has failed by uh, 850,000 people uh, from like 2021. And so, as a world in itself, that we have got only 0.88% increase. So, where do the people come from? So, so you are saying that you know this is only a short term need, and in the long term, perhaps um, the queue will be reduced naturally. Yeah, it can actually it will reduce naturally, and then uh, you can see that actually migration has not stopped, and then uh, you can also see that actually uh, if we talk about like the attractiveness of migration, it is not really attractive as before. If you talk to those mainlanders uh, that we know, and then so that uh, if that's the case, so why not we just try to like do something on the root cause? 
uh, so that we will know uh, exactly so, where, so, so, so how to solve the problem. So we have to deal with the root cause rather than we try to build a lot of like housing here and there and then uh, all these sort of the temporary housing, they have got a sustainability issue as well because uh, that is temporary. So it means that uh, one day sooner or later that you have to, uh, you have to demolish it. So it can cause a very serious environmental problem. So uh, I, I, I think that it is like uh, we have to deal with the root cause first. Okay. Uh, Professor Yip, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for joining us. So, so the, the Housing Secretary, Winnie Ho, did say yesterday that uh, she regards this as an Im important uh, social programme. Um, wh where do you stand on it? Well, I, I think, yes, I mean, proper housing is a very good, uh, important social programme. And I would say that uh, what I've discussed in this programme is an oversimplification of the housing issues in Hong Kong. Because, uh, for instance, migration is not the main cause of the lengthening circulating uh, list of public housing because you, you need to stay at least for seven years before you're eligible even for applying for public housing. So even if you stop all the immigrants today, the, the housing queue would not go away in the next seven or eight, ten years. And also so-called um, uh, that uh, poor quality housing is a minor issue. I, that's not, I, 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 I couldn't agree because... Uh, that is a very uh, a serious problem in, in Hong Kong of the very poor uh, issues around mm. uh, over 200,000 people living in subdivided units. Many of them are in very poor living conditions. And I don't think we have enough units, housing units in the private sector that are affordable to them so that they can so move to a better housing if you uh, just so-called eradicate all the uh, subdivided units tomorrow. I mean, that's not practical. So is this a solution, doing it like this, with a, a light public housing? I mean, uh, a, a, I, obviously lower construction costs, uh, easier to build, I guess, uh, uh, using uh, you know, prefabricated materials and so on. I think that is not a long-term solution. I would say that that's just cosmetic, because if that land can be used for permanent public housing, it will be cheaper, and also uh, it could be uh, the, the housing quality may be, may be a little bit better. Uh, so I would say the light public housing is just to to bring 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 down the waiting queue for just marginally in the next few years, but it will stabilize. For instance, in, in, in after after a few years, uh, when the uh, waiting queue will not be able to shorten. Uh, yes, Professor. As as Ian Brownlee said, uh, there are quite a few beds. Uh, in fact, I read somewhere that it's almost forty thousand. You know, uh, with all the uh, COVID quarantine uh, sites added together, and some of them are air conditioned, then they're not in a poor condition. How come those could not be used for transitional housing or this short-term um, public housing? I I would say that some of them could, but even if all of them are converted to uh, so light public housing, it would not solve the problem because many of the sites, in fact, they are not that accessible. So I worry that even if you build light public housing or temporary housing there, they will not be welcomed by most of most people in, in the most Africans in the waiting list because it's simply just too far away, uh, no facilities, and particularly if you consider the, the education of the children, that's a disaster. Right. And how would you comment on the sites uh, picked by the Secretary for Housing so far? There are a number of urban sites, uh, but some of them are in Shengshui and Yunlong, which is quite far away and not accessible as well. Well, I mean, that's inevitable, because if you, you think that we have a lot of land that's ready for housing, that is accessible, that's convenient, I mean, that's just a myth. 
because all those land have been already been used, or most of them. So that's inevitable that you need to find sites very remote in the new territory. I mean, that is a, that is an issue, but it's it's good that the government have been able to locate some site in the urban center, and so that is more convenient and more accessible. But I don't think they can find those sites, uh, more uh, such sites. Um, Ian Brownlee, you mentioned uh, before one of the sites, of course, being Kai Tak, which is uh, the, the area was uh, meant to be a high-end residential and uh, commercial area. Of course, the new uh, sports uh, stadium is uh, uh, going up there. What do you think of the choice of Kai Tak as one of the sites for this uh, temporary housing? Um as a town planner, I've been making submissions on Kaitak for more than 20 years. And if we go back to the, uh, the original plan of the current scheme with, the re with no extra reclamation, um, it was a, a relatively low-rise development with a lot of public open space and a lot of uh, community facilities. And it was going to have a sustainable transport system and so on. Um, and progressively, over the time, we've had these emergencies, which are still not really emergencies to the extent that we have to throw out all the good planning. And so we've increased the intensity of, of development throughout the whole of the site. Um, a lot of the sites which were, zoned, have, which were originally zoned for open space and community facilities have been changed to public housing or commercial. And a lot of the commercial sites have actually been changed from commercial to public housing. So we have this whole trend which has developed right up to last year where there's more and more public housing going into Kai Tak at very high densities. And if you look at the buildings that are being uh, now coming and approaching completion at Kai Tak, we're developing a very intensive uh, suburb of our city, which is completely different from the original intention. And if we look at last year, last year the government went to the town planning board and had five sites which were zoned for commercial purposes, including two which were hotels adjacent to the cruise terminal, and they asked them to rezone those five sites for public housing. And the town planning board um, declined to reserve all five of them for public housing. And the ones next to the cruise terminal, they kept them for hotel development because there's, this is supposed to be a, a, a tourism uh, node at the end of the, uh, end of the runway. And there we're supposed to have a, a collection of uses which are compatible with the operation of the cruise terminal. And here we have the cruise terminal, which is a massive investment by government which was not going to be able to operate properly because it wouldn't have the, the ancillary hotels. And so the town planning board declined to rezone those, and that's been retained for hotel use, and they'll be sold off and developed accordingly. But, but what was really interesting during the discussion, some of the town planning board members said to the, the government officials that were there, why do we have to have housing everywhere? Public housing, it should be distributed across the whole of Hong Kong because we do have to have sites which are available for the people that are going to live at Kai Tak, which are going to be able to provide them with the park, the community facilities, the job opportunities, the, the commercial operations. For instance, there's virtually no shopping centre on the runway portion of, of, of Kai Tak. 
and 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 they're looking at what's happening, and we're having all of these proposals which are, are just off the top of their head as a possible solution to a problem which is not very well um, presented, not very well argued, mm. and and they took the situation there and they said no. So if we look at that. And we look at the people that have invested into those, uh, that area. We've got people that are, have bought flats adjacent and in the vicinity of the location where these flats are going to go, which were going to be high-class uh, residential sites or they were going to be used for high-quality um, commercial development. They are now going to be used for this temporary um, uh, housing, which is, is going to be... a gross underutilization of the land. They're talking about 14 stories to 16 stories. That's half the amount of, of development you would normally put on a site. Mm. And so we're, mm. there all these other consequential costs, which haven't been taken into account, they are talking about the cost of air conditioning. What about the cost of not developing it for the original intention? And if we read the information from, from the Bureau, they're not going to rezone these sites. These sites are going to be retained for their original purpose, which is basically commercial, mm. which means that until these temporary uses of, of a massive amount of investment are moved, they're not going to be developed for the original purpose. Mm. Now, how can you have this massive commitment for temporary uh, development, fill it up with people, thirty, you know, and then after five years or so, you're going to kick them out again mm. as you've got to demolish it. Mm. And, and where are you going to put the people at that stage? Mm. What's going to happen, is, as Professor mentioned, there's a massive sustainability issue here when you demolish buildings. What happens to all the waste? Mm. What happens to these incredible uh, billions of dollars of investment mm. which are only on a temporary basis? Now, how are they going to get this through the town planning board? I do not know. Okay, that was a, that, I think that was a, a Rita Lee referring to a, a, the demolition. But yes, but pro, yes. Pro, 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 uh, pro, Professor Yip, I, I know you, you can only stay with us till nine o'clock. Yeah. Uh, um, um, how about that? I mean, is this value for money? We're talking about uh, uh, twenty-six point four billion or something like that. That's going to cost, and then these um, apartments may only last for five years and then have to be demolished. Is that good? Is that is that value for money? Hello, Professor Yip. I think we might have. Uh, I think we might have lost uh, Professor Yip. Um, Rita Lee. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. How about that? Um, um, the, the the cost, the twenty six point four billion dollars for this, uh, for building these thirty thousand public flats. Is it going to provide value for money? Well, actually, the uh, so-called light public housing unit is, uh, if that is like uh, high-rise building, it costs around uh, sixty uh, six hundred eighty thousand dollars Hong Kong dollars, which is comparable per, per or less the same as a traditional public uh, rental uh -huh. unit. Mm. So, uh, actually, this is more or less the same course, but then uh, the usage time will be only as, uh, like, for example, five years or so. So it means that the, uh, if we talk about the, uh, the whole, uh, uh, like for example, public housing that we have seen, some of them can like, last for like 60 years or so. So you compare like five years uh, to 60 years, then you will know that actually it is not really cost effective. It can solve the problem of uh, the, long, uh, the long queue in the public housing in a short time, but then it also actually bring in some of the sustainability issue. 
So uh, that's why that uh, the thing, like for example, if we talk about the COVID quarantine center, some of them I think it should be able to use uh, in a shorter time, and so as those like uh, the industrial buildings where they have already got uh, some of the building structures there. And then it can be divided in into a new type of the subdivided unit, but then uh, in a better conditions uh, before they are demolished. So the in, term, in terms of the environmental friendly perspective, this may be these two may be the better choice as compared to uh, as compared to like uh, 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 building the light public housing. Of course, I, mean, I have no objection to like building the light public housing because there, there should be some uh, some demand on that. But at the same time, that we, we shouldn't like uh, build everywhere because we have got a lot of other choices before we choose the uh, light public housing as an alternative choice. And in Kitec, and uh, do you think a site should be um, you know identified in Kitec? Kitec, it is a place for which they originally, where the housing owner they buy the house, they they notice that this is a house, uh, this is a district for which it is a quite high end. And then uh, I think uh, some of the Kitec housing owner may they, they, they may not feel really happy because uh, 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 some of the previous research actually has shown that uh, if the public housing is nearby the private uh, residential unit, uh, there may be some sort of like uh, deduction in the prices in those like private housing units. But uh, of course, that uh, this is not a uh, this is not a must. Uh, some of the other research do not agree, but then uh, uh, there there is some kind of the research like that. And then uh, to the public housing units, uh, actually the unit tenants they actually require like cheap uh, uh, cheap food and then a, a cheap uh, uh, kind of like living standard. And then uh, Kitec, this is a kind of like mismatch to a certain extent. Okay, uh, well, stay with us. Uh, we've got to take a, a break for the news. We'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, you can contact our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on 233-88266. We're talking uh, about uh, uh, the light public housing scheme this morning. And later on in uh, the second part of the programme, We'll be talking about what you can do with leftover Lycee packets. It's now uh, coming up to 9 o'clock. Quick look at the weather. Sunny periods today. Top temperature around uh, 18 degrees. The outlook. Uh, temperatures will rise further with sunny intervals uh, tomorrow and windier with rain patches later in the week. since first taking off in 1970. A Boeing historian said it has shrunk the world. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat with uh, Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about the Light Public Housing Programme. Uh, we have with us Ian Brownlee, Managing Director of the uh, Planning Consultancy Master Plan Limited, and Dr Rita Lee, Director of the Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre and Associate Professor at the Department of uh, Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Xuyan University. Um, I have a message here from uh, listener Henry on our Facebook page. That's uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Henry is a, a regular correspondent. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying that uh, he is a senior citizen. Um, he talks about um, his younger days, uh, living conditions. Uh, Henry says, uh, uh, from newspaper reports, I find 
these uh, light public housing to be uh, very good. I find it hard to accept some criticism on this type of housing compared to partition flats with poor living conditions. They are way, way better. Back in 1958, my family moved from a partitioned flat five-person family living in a 120-square-foot room with four different families in the same flat to a Sai Wan tune in Kennedy Town. In those days, Kennedy Town was remote. You had to smell uh, smoke bellowing from a slaughterhouse nearby every day, and the streets were littered in the morning uh, by cow's dung. And the Kennedy Town wholesale market was also roaring with shouts and noises from workers there at 6am, interrupting our sleep. I wonder what people these days would think of those inconveniences. Would people like to continue to live in partitioned flats and refuse to move to light public housing? People cannot expect to have the best of everything. I learnt in school, be content. Uh, thank you from Henry. Um, the, the point um, has been made, um, Ian Brownlee, as well. I know, obviously, you explained before that you're, um, you don't think this whole light public housing scheme is necessary at all. But uh, um, once people move in, um, they're paying a lower rent. Um, they, the, the flats might well last beyond five years and it might be difficult to persuade them to move. Do, do you see a problem there down the road? Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the situation is that once they make this massive investment, once they've committed a whole community to move in, are they going to have the, the will to actually remove them and sell the site for commercial purposes or whatever the other sites are? And honestly, I don't know where the sites are in the new territories they're talking about. But, but just to take a, a point from what Henry said, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people living in Taipo, Yunlong, Tunmun, Tinsuiwai, and they're, they're living there and they don't have to commute to anywhere. And, and we've seen this trend over, over the last 30 or 40 years where when public housing's been built in places like uh, Yunlong and Tunmun and Tinsoiwai, people have moved there and they've established their lives there and they've lived there and they're now into their second generation probably of living there. And they adjust to it. And those areas are not desolate locations with no facilities, no communication, no public transport. They're actually really quite well-developed towns. So the people should take the, the approach that Henry's talking about. Move out there, re-establish your life. It will be different, but it won't be bad. So we should be building permanent public housing, which is going to last for 80 years or more, and where people don't have to move again after five years. And so the community you're establishing is a permanent community. And, and the other problem with public housing is that you can only get into public housing if you meet the uh, income requirements, which means you're setting up large areas with large numbers of people, all of similar economic, socioeconomic characteristics. And, and this is not good planning. You should be looking at how you can develop a mix of um, activities, business types, um, community groups, different types of people living and working in the same area. And that's not going to happen if we keep putting these large concentrations of public housing with limitations on the income and just focusing them all in particular areas. Mm. Now, I'd just like to say one thing about the, um, the, the waiting list. Now, John Lee said he was going to do things on the basis of, of figures and facts. And he should 
hopefully take a look at the waiting list structure and the way that it's it's formulated because there as we heard there are about 230,000 people on the waiting list and of those 100,000 of them are non-elderly singles and the the government changed the eligibility criteria to enable single people to get on the waiting list and they are able to apply when they're 18 years old. So it's more than the opportunities of winning the Mark VI is to get a, a flat. And so a large number of these people have put themselves on the list and they're waiting there for their, for their, their opportunity to get into public housing. But if you look at other figures, and, and, and I, I've recently only read this, that, but it seems that of the people under the age of 27 80% of the single people under the age of 27 are eligible for public housing. Now, to me, those are not the people that should be getting in the public housing waiting list. You know, we, we could take all of those people and substitute them with the people who are waiting in the sub, in sub, subdivided flats, mm. and we've solved that problem in terms of the waiting list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the priority should be given to the people who need the public housing. Mm. The ones that are in a desperate situation that can't afford it. Mm. Mm. Rita Lee? Yeah. yeah. Do, do, do you uh, agree with that? Well, uh, actually, I agree with that. Uh, actually, there are a lot of the people by the time that they, uh, they were still in the university, uh, studying in the university, their parents have already persuaded them to like, queue up for the public housing. Mm. So see whether or not that by the time that they, they graduate, they get married, then they can have, have already got a housing unit. So uh, this is what we have seen in the social phenomenon. But then uh, uh, to some extent, these group of the people, they, uh, they do not have really have got a, a necessity in like queuing up by the time they queue up. Uh, because actually they, 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 were still li uh, they are still living with their parents, they are still living with their family. Uh, but then only because that they foresee that they don't have the ability to buy the housing, uh, the private housing in a short time, so therefore they queue up. But do remember that for uh, university graduates, that actually once they graduate, they may have got a better prosperity than, than they, they think to be. And then uh, so that, uh, that, that's the main issue. And then uh, when we talk about the, the uh, uh, when we talk about like the housing units, the light housing units for which that it can build, it is only like uh, it only brings about like thirty thousand units uh, to be completed in the five years. So it means that each of the year we have got six thousand units uh, in each of the year. And then if we talk about these like, six thousand units, uh, actually it can be uh, it can be um, uh, part of that, uh, part of that, or quite part, quite a large part of that can be uh, uh, can become vacant if we try to. Uh, check those uh, who have uh, exceeded the, uh, the salary limits. And then uh, so that if we try to look at all these sort of things, we have got uh, quite a large room to, to deal with the issue rather than just uh, building uh, a lot of like uh, housing units like, everywhere, but then all of them, they are temporary. Uh, Rita Lee, you have mentioned a few times about, uh, you know, a lot of the public housing tenants uh, uh, who have, uh, let, let's say, sons and daughters going to work and then the whole family income might have exceeded um, the maximum. You think this is a big problem of, uh, of uh, people living in housing, uh, public housing now? 
Well, this is actually a main problem because actually, if we talk about like the private housing units, that uh, there, there there is like a lot of like uh, a lot more uh, that they are vacant because of like uh, uh, because of like migration. And of course, some of you may say some of you may say that where well, they they just leave the house leave the housing in Hong Kong, but then they just migrate to other places. This is also true. But then uh, we have to set up the uh, rules or criteria for like moving up the uh, moving up the uh, housing ladder so that we will not like have most of them they crammed in the in the subdivided units. Uh, we had a question from a caller. Unfortunately, I don't have the caller's name, but uh, said, uh, "Why do we still insist on ghettoisation for the poor?" Um, Rita Lee, uh, this sort of uh, ties in with what uh, uh, Ian Brownlee was saying about uh, the locations for um, for public housing. I mean, should, should should it be should you know it be more integrated with other types of housing and facilities? Well, uh, the housing units, no matter what sort of the housing, we have to consider about like whether or not that there are some other uh, facilities. That is, uh, that that must be true because actually human beings are not like uh, those like packs that we just put them into a housing unit. That's it. Uh, but at the same time, we have to consider the districts, uh, the district condition, whether or not that the district, like uh, in some of the districts in Hong Kong, we may uh, discover that actually the living cost is substantially higher than the others. So if you try to pack those like public housing into these uh, these district, that can be problematic because they have to find uh, uh, restaurants or they have to find other facilities which are cheaper in other districts. So that can cause problems. So while we are talking about like we have to uh, uh, pack them together uh, with uh, suitable facilities, but we also have to consider whether or not that district is itself that they have got a lot of like uh, uh, a lot of like uh, high-end uh, restaurants, high-end uh, shopping malls. So if that's the case, that may not be a good choice because uh, we have got a lot of like uh, old districts. Uh, we have got so much old districts that the living cost is a lot much more cheaper and we have got a lot of the housing units which has to be demolished. You can see there are so many housing units and, uh, in, in places like, for example, uh, Tai Ko Choi, for example, uh, Shen Shui Po, for example, Yao Qing Mong uh, district. Uh, that there, there, there are a lot of the housing units that are like pretty old and even in, include like uh, 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 Yunlong, for example. We have a lot of like old housing units, so why don't we don't we, we try to like uh, demolish those uh, uh, housing units to speed up the uh, the redevelopment process, and then uh, so that we can have got much more uh, te- uh, not temporary but permanent housing units which can last a much more longer time, so that it will be much more sustainable in <laughs> in the long run. I I totally agree, and and the other thing is that. A lot of these older housing or the poor condition ones can be improved. And, and we've seen that where the, um, social enterprises have gone in and they revitalized some of these housing blocks and made them much more livable. And if we look at the people that are going to be ineligible for public housing, where do they go? And, and where do they get accommodated? They've got to go into private housing. And therefore, we look at the other... Um, opportunities that have been provided around the world where instead of providing a physical accommodation, the governments provide a cash allowance and as well, as soon as the um, the accommodation is up to an acceptable standard the, the housing can be provided for people who get the cash allowance which subsidise it to make them more affordable. And so the cash solution is, is so much quicker. Um, we have so many units that are underutilised, we don't have a shortage of housing. Uh, we do have a problem with the government in that it wants to sell land and get the highest price. And we just saw in Stanley recently where the, the government withdrew 
a block which would have provided 700 flats because the five or four um, bids that they got were lower than the the, the um, price that they put on the, on that property. And so instead of selling them at the price which the, the developers see as reasonable, and we see now this situation where um, housing prices have been reducing in Hong Kong, which is great in terms of affordability, and yet the government's trying to keep the the, the price of uh, public housing, or private housing up high and not selling it. It just doesn't make sense. Um, when, when, when you say no shortage of housing in Brownlee, do you mean... <laughs> that there's really no shortage of private housing. But then, you know, when we talk about subdivided flats for, for you know, people who are really at the bottom of the housing ladder, they can only go to rent a room in, in a, a subdivided flat. And is that housing for you or is it not Okay, housing? I think subdivided flats are not all bad. And, and there's a, a program at Hong Kong University where the architectural department have gone into public, into these subdivided flats and re furnished them with modern design. If you look at the ones they always put on TV, they're terrible. They're bad use of space. They're bad use of facilities. You look at the ones that are designed properly, and they're very livable. So not all are bad. So if you had one which designed properly and met the certain standards, including, you know, maybe toilet facilities, kitchen facilities, then that would be adequate and suitable to be subsidised in terms of a financial um, um, weekly, monthly payment from the government to help the people pay for the cost of that flat. The thing is, if we put a quality requirement on the subdivided flats, then everyone will start to upgrade them because there will be a greater demand for them. If we subsidise the people that are moving in, we look after them as well. Uh, and how about the role of uh, uh, enforcement? Uh, you can prosecute those who are you know, who have uh, subdivided flats in a very poor way? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I, the buildings department is issuing um, unauthorised building work notices all the time. They're, you know, on things like uh, on the exterior of a the building, there's a sunshade being erected without approval. Why don't they go and do the important things? Go and look at these places that have been very, very poorly um, subdivided and take action against them. There's safety, there's, uh, you know, there's health and safety, there's fire problems. All of these should be addressed. That should be the priority. Mm. Okay. Okay, just, just uh, uh, one final question for uh, Le Rita Lee, if, if we may. Do you still have time? Yeah. <laughs> Rita, Rita Lee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, uh, uh, just um, so the, uh, the Housing Secretary... Uh, uh, disclosed uh, yesterday that, um, that various savings have been made in this programme. Uh, um, the the light public housing flats are not going to have air conditioners, and that will save a, a billion dollars. But I mean, is that going to make them um, less attractive? Do you think to to people who might want to move in? Well, I don't think so because if you talk about some of the subdivided units, they are so poor in condition that they can uh, they can hardly install the air conditioner in themselves. So they can only have got a fan. So if we talk about this sort of like temporary housing, if they do not have the, uh, the air conditioner, I don't think that it is like sort of like uh, not attractive. So if we talk about the facilities over there, the cupboards or whatever, it must be a lot much more better than subdivided units. And then uh, so that I think there should be some kind of the attractive points there, still like there, especially in case of the families. So they, they, they are now living in a poor condition where the subdivided units, they have got a lot of like structural issues 
problem actually. It's a building structure issue problem. So we know that if we have got uh, like uh, 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 the wall that is like that, that should not be there, but then you now include in the subdivided unit. Uh, we we can we can foresee that there are a lot of like uh, a lot of the building structure issue that is like uh, well, if you remember, we call our memory in the Tokar one's case uh, where the the building finally collapsed. So uh, actually, uh, if we put this into account, I, I think that there should be some kind of attractive point. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much to uh, both of you. Uh, that was uh, Rita Lee there from uh, Hong Kong Xuyan University. And thanks very much to Ian Brownlee, uh, Managing Director of uh, Planning Consultancy Master Plan. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And moving on now for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're turning our attention to um, an environmental initiative. You may well have heard of this. Uh, uh, this is a project run by the group uh, Greeners Action because it's been going for the past uh, 14 years. It's the Lycee Reuse and Recycle programme. And over that time, the group has collected more than... 60 million uh, red packets. Uh, we're joined on the line now by Michelle Chung, Assistant Project Manager with Greeners Action. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning. So, Ms Chung, uh, for listeners who may not be uh, so aware, would you just uh, like to recap how the scheme works? Okay. Um, so, according to our survey in 2014, mm. uh, Hong Kong people use our... Uh, 320 million of red packets a year. So uh, each, uh, it's around cutting down uh, 16,500 trees. So it's a huge amount, right? Yeah. And many people consider red packets is a dis, uh, uh, disposal item. So a lot of red packets is end up in the landfill. Mm. So uh, Green Action, we uh, want to educate people that red packets are not a disposal and can be reused again and again. Mm. So our uh, Lycee Reuse and Recycling Program has been holding for uh, 14 years. Uh, we collect used web packets from the public and we distribute them after screening and sorting to the uh, organization or to the public next year. Mm. So um, in this year, we uh, have more than 50 distribution points and over uh, 250 collection points. Uh, the web packets will uh, start from today to February 27, so we start collecting from the web packets. And we expect that uh, we could collect 8 million web packets this year. Mm. Right. Um, Michelle, I think this is, of course, a great cause. Uh, but uh, I, I can foresee difficulties. I don't know how, how, how you've dealt with that um, in the past and, uh, you know, how you can promote that to the younger people because the tradition is that the older people give a red packet to mm -hmm. younger people, right? So the packets end up in the hands of younger people. Yeah. And so when, when the young person uh, opens the packet and get the money out, uh, he or she will inevitably throw the packet away. Now, yeah. now you know we we have to have a very green person to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, to to put this, um, you know, as a pile, and I will donate and give back to Greeners Action, and and I think that will be quite few. W would you say so? How how could this process be be better designed? Actually, 
I think now the Hong Kong people is um they always think oh I can recycle some some something because you know government is start educating them from the school or kindergarten they have this sense already. So actually, uh, we have got a lot of inquiry from the public to say that oh, I want to recycle my life sheet every year is like this, and then more more organization they want to join. What to try us to help us to collect the uh, red packets? That's why I think that uh, in Hong Kong now is people they already used to all oh, after the Chinese New Year. I need to recycle the red packets. Right. Like who, who are your uh, collection partners? Would they be like commercial places, like shopping malls, or or the management offices of uh, housing blocks? Oh, uh, it's private company. Most of them. Yeah, it's uh, some uh, from housing and then uh, shopping malls. So people it's easy okay. to take their their wet packets. Yeah, the, the reason I ask is that uh, since last night I saw this big box, um, you know, at mm. the lobby of uh, my apartment block. Yeah. And it says uh, collecting point, but it doesn't say Greener's Action. So I think mm-hmm. there might be uh, uh, other groups. Uh, so you, you think there are other groups doing the same thing as you? Uh, I think maybe. Maybe, uh, the, maybe your apartment, they join us, but they just take another recycle box. Uh, put, to put it there, and then after they collect it, just okay. It's quite prominent. The uh, the pity yeah. is that I don't really have the lacy packets to put in there because I have uh, given them all out. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, so have you seen an increase in in the collection of lacy packets in the last few years? Oh, uh, because last few years is the cause uh, COVID. You know that, right? So, <laughs> but, yes, um, yes. The most serious uh, COVID is during before and after Chinese New Year. After Chinese years, for the last few years, so that's why uh, the recycle program is affected. But uh, in this year, now the society is back to normal. We can say so. So we think that uh, the recycling is we will can collect our experience. So it's better than the last year. So would you say there's like a, a growing awareness of recycling among the general public? Uh, sorry, say again. Do, do you think? Uh, do you think uh, people, more people, know about recycling and care about recycling? I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, you know mm-hmm. kids kids going to school these days, uh, you know, they're all told about it. And you know, yes. is this is the situation getting better? I think so. Yeah, mm. because it's more and more organization they join us, and mm. then uh, they're re- they're willing to um, have some cooperation with us. And then uh, also have some of the school also want to join us as well. Now, for, for the uh, red packets, the lycee packets, uh, uh, are they all suitable for recycling? I mean, you know, for, for instance, uh, I mean, would you get some packets with the, the, you know, that year's zodiac animal on it or something, which would which which would date it, and you wouldn't be able to use it the the next year yeah. or something? Yes, uh, some of them the lycee have you uh, have print the share name. Or they have already writing something for, for well, for their name, something like this, and uh, that cannot be reused. Or some broken lychee also cannot be reused because we redistribute the lychee next year. Mm. So if they cannot be reused, then we only can recycle. Mm. So really sent to for paper recycle. 
sometimes the light see the design now, uh, because the material, maybe they have some plastic or something else, so may not, may not be really suitable for recycle as well. So we, that's why we want to educate some private company when they pin the light sheet, they need to think about the light sheet can be used, the design can be reused. And and the manufacturers, the 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 red packet manufacturers. I mean, have you spoken to those? You've been in touch with those to to make sure that uh, you know the products are recyclable. Uh, actually, we didn't uh, directly talk with the manufacturer because I think that um, the private company they order the lacy and then they what they want from the design is the most important. Yes. It's not the manufacturer because mm. they just follow the order, right? Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, what what kind of uh, lacy packets are totally not recyclable? W would there be some that you would not take? Uh, you mean um, not for reuse? Yeah, for, yeah for, for example, their design is very complica complicated. I have seen very complicated designs yeah. these days, uh, in particular, you know, from, you know, a few uh, commercial uh, se sector companies. Yes. Um, and and I, I'm not sure how they can be reused. They're very specific to the year. Mm -hmm. Yes, that, that cannot be re reused. So we cannot reuse for them. We yeah. only can do is recycle them. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess giving a, a red packet is uh, is having been been our tradition for a long time. But do you see other alternatives? Uh, for example, can can we still give lacy packets uh, without these uh, very elaborate, um, you know, uh, red envelopes? Uh, I think um, red packet is really still uh, traditional, right? So at this moment, uh, we can. Some of them are uh, electronic light sheet is another option. But we think that uh, light sheet by the real web packet is still maybe like for the long term or short, uh, middle term is still we use it. So uh, people need to educate it. Light sheet is not one single use. I, I think it's more important. Sure. Okay, well, uh, good luck uh, with this year's uh, project and thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme. Uh, that was uh, Michelle Chung, Assistant uh, Project Manager with uh, Greener's Action. And um, thank you to our listeners. Um, thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. And a quick look at the weather before we go to the brunch with Noreen and the new summary. Uh, sunny periods today. Um, there will be a top temperature of around 19 degrees, uh, mainly cloudy, uh, and mainly cloudy tonight, that is. Uh, the outlook, temperatures will rise further with sunny intervals tomorrow. Windy with a few rain patches in the following couple of days. Currently, it is 16 degrees. Humidity is 57%. Many of us have replaced our ID cards already. So why are you still holding an old smart ID card? The application period